<laughs> but um, I, I was very busy this week. I had a lot of my work, my my job gave me a lot of extra work, so I didn't have um, very much time to prepare. But I just wanted to talk about one of the articles I read this week, and it was the one that was written by Rabbi John, Jonathan Sachs. And the in the article there was there was um, it talked about the a theory that this that the Red Sea the splitting of the Red Sea was there's like scientific um, proof or I guess a scientific theory that it could have happened um, using using uh, I guess natural ways natural things that happen in our in our Earth right oftentimes I like to think that you know Hashem may he, he may do a, a supernatural act but he'll use his the things the natural laws that he set up on this Earth to do this this supernatural thing right. So in the in the theory, there is um there is like kind of a land like kind of like a land bridge underneath the the sea at that at that point at a at a point in the Red Sea, um, so that if if a strong wind would would come, it would kind of like expose that land bridge, and that's where they would cross. It wasn't as deep as other parts of the Red Sea, essentially. And so he so um so essentially Hashem you know, made this super strong wind that would come and like push the waters back and uh, expose that land bridge that they could cross. Of course, there's um, obviously I feel like there's other miracles right in this miracle. I mean, there's the miracle of the land being dry. Like how strong would this wind be to like dry out the land, right? Um, and then also, um, you know, it says the walls, the, the water was like walls, right? So also, um, how strong would this wind have to be right to and then yeah wouldn't if, if the wind was super strong wouldn't it just blow them back right so maybe i mean but it could still be in theory it could be maybe like the walls actually froze and became like these walls of ice and then they you know walk now these are the theories right but it but does it make the miracle any less um, if if it did happen in this natural way that it does it make this miracle any less miraculous right and i feel like it doesn't because Hashem is might maybe using his natural laws, but it's still still very miraculous that they're in the right spot, that it was at the right timing, and all this, all these, and you know this this miraculous strong wind, you know everything. I mean, even that in itself is pretty, uh, just a miracle in itself. So, I think Rab, Rabbi Jonathan's Jonathan Sachs, um, I guess, takeaway from this is that. Whether or not, you know, we see these miracles around us all the time in natural ways, natural things that we look at as, oh, that's the normal natural thing that happens. But there's still miracles nonetheless. And I think he was also saying like this, even if this, this miracle happened in a natural way, it was still a miracle um, regardless. And it still um, shows that the hand of Hashem was there, you know, at, at that time and, and doing this and, and, and guiding the people and everything. And so, um, and and he, and he kind of applied it to us, saying, even though when we see, um, we might we might see things that we take for granted, natural miracles, babies being born, and you know, all, all these things that happen around us, you know, the rain coming and wind and everything, right? These are all um, um, natural things to us, but they are miracles nonetheless. And we have to, you know, look at the eyes, look look at these things through. I guess different eyes or different way to look at them, so that we can see that Hashem is 
you know, giving us all these miracles around us all the time and not to take them for granted and not to uh, ignore them in a sense. You know? So that's one thing I got from that article. And uh, did anybody else have any drashes uh, to share about this Torah portion? I just posted this in the Zoom chat. It's not, you know, it's not always easy to accept that miracles can happen, um, you know. Um, but of course, the thing we have to try to meditate on and accept into our hearts is that if Genesis one one is true, that God created the heavens and the earth, um, then any other miracle, parting of the Red Sea, the resurrection of Yeshua would be small potatoes, not always easy to accept in our minds, especially in this day and age with um, the so-called enlightened philosophies that um, intrude on the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, in our day. But that's what we have to try to accept into our hearts, and then we could see anything is possible with Hashem. Yeah, talking about the same, the same kind of line of work uh, uh, that you said, Ruben. Uh, God, Hashem always uses uh, natural things uh, to His advantage. You know, He told Moses, "Hey, what are you doing? Why are you claiming to me? You know, stop." So that teaches, for one thing, teaches that we have. There is a time for everything, like says in Ecclesiastes. You know, there is a time for everything. There is a time to pray and there's time to do things. And uh, we can be praying all the time, but we have to do something. It's like whoever is uh, looking for work. Okay, you, you're you praying, uh, but you got to send your resume, you know? How can uh, how can you not do what you your part, you know? And then, and then the other thing is that uh, yes, Hashem uses the uh, natural um, resources like the wind. He says he blew up a wind all night. Yeah, he blew. He made the uh, the wind blow so he can uh, part the sea. So it, it is always that we have to do something, and he does the rest. You know, we can see that. Uh, we can see that all, all the time. We just cannot be uh, sitting sitting still. And another thing is that uh, when uh, Hashem told him uh, to go, not to go to the uh, to the uh, uh, Philistines' uh, way, it was the longest way. Why? Because they were not ready. Remember, you know, a few days ago they were slaves. They was just slaves. They're not ready to work, uh, and they want to see. Oh, there's gonna be work. Uh, you know what? Let's go back to uh, Egypt. Which they said it, uh, they, which they said it when they were hungry, you know. And always the 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 way of thinking is uh, that they they always is like demanding, always like demanding. Hey, what is the water? You know, we want the water. That's what Moshe says. You know, hey, you don't demand. You you don't demand that to uh, uh, my brother and I. You actually complaining to Hashem. And look all the miracles that he has done. That's why in our daily lives, we have to make sure that we're not complaining. That's why if we are always on a thankful 
mode, then we'd have time to complain. And uh, we, we should be, be giving thanks every, uh, 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 almost during the whole day. We give thanks because we woke up, you know, we thanks because we took a shower, we thank, we, we go, we have bread, we eat, we coffee, we laugh. and every time we uh, have a blessing in our, in, our, in our lips. So if we are in that mode, you know, then nothing wrong can come out of, out of that mouth. You know, you cannot be blessing, blessing, blessing all day, and then all the sudden start uh, cursing or doing, uh, or doing the shohara with the same mouth at the same time. So that's, that's why we need to be like, in, in modern terms, you know, on a thankful mode. Just put ourselves in, in that mode. You know, what happened with, uh, with um, they, they say, we'd rather die uh, uh, in Egypt than die in the desert. But what they were thinking about, your stomach, because they were thinking about food. They were not thinking about the spiritual way, and probably what happened afterwards with uh, why they were punished to go through the um, through through the desert for forty years. It was Hashem knew that was going to happen, which it was good because that would have to they in in that way they will be clean, they will be new ones. And it's like a, a, I can't remember where it says, but if you put uh, a wine in others. I don't know how to say in English. In English, you know, in container, you cannot put a a, a a new wine in an old container. So that's exactly what happened at the end. The 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 old people did not went into the uh, into the Canaan, okay. But the new one, yes, because they were make new, okay. So they were prepared to do to go into the land the way. He, uh, uh, Hashem wanted it, but the, the generation that came out, they were not ready. So, and they were they were always complaining. You know, yeah, you need water, but can you say, uh, please? One thing it says, please, say, and the other one says, hey, I want water. You know, which is two different things. And you never see uh, during the uh, Torah reading that they that that they ask. It's always demanding. Demanding, give me, give me, give me, give me. And when you're demanding, you're actually complaining. And that's what Moshe was telling them. You know, hey, you're not complaining to me and my brother. Complain to God, you know, Hashem. That's what I want to share. And that gets into as well, like Yeshua, his model. Yeshua taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he taught us to pray that before we then uh, prayed, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that this is the, what you were describing was a great example of instead of complaining, you know, pray, praise God first, uh, pray, you know, pray, praise Hashem, ask for his kingdom to come, ask for his will to be done. And, um, you know, that, that's also the great prayer models. It's consistent with the rest of the Tanakh and the great prayer models of David, of Solomon, of Elijah. They're always they're always trying to seek God's kingdom first 
And that's difficult to do in the heat of the moment if you're under duress and you're reaching out to God. Um, it's something for me personally that I've been working on um, in the last couple of weeks in my own prayer life is just training, training ourselves to um, pray, pray, praise Hashem first. And that that turns our hearts onto Hashem's power as well when we're complaining um, and worrying instead of um, drawing on the power of Hashem's kingdom to perform these miracles, to provide for our daily needs, um, you know, then, then it's, it's hard to see how we can have hope, how we can have a long-term time horizon um, on our needs. So uh, may, may we all be strengthened in our ability to do that. Shalom. Always, always good to come visit. Uh, feels like home. Yeah. Um, so, in this tour portion, I think shows us. Uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, uh, those who are converts or those who are uh, coming back will uh, kind of s sit in a uh, uh, kind of a seat of judgment when we look down at, uh, and we'll. <laughs> We'll say, you know, the Israelites or the children of Israel, you know, and we have to personalize it. Our sages say that, uh, that we have to say us, we, you know, we, we complained and we, you know, we stood. And um, let's just think about this. Uh, there was three complaints uh, during this Torah portion. And this is right after we saw our enemies defeated. It was right after we saw uh, our enemies defeated. Uh, Egyptians floating in the sea, uh, and what do we do? We, we immediately uh, complained about not having anything to drink. Uh, and then we got, Hashem brought us to a place where we could drink, and it says, they said, oh, we're, we're dying of thirst, we're dying of thirst. And he brought, Hashem brought us to a place where we had water available, Okay. I don't know about you, but if I was going three days without water, if there was a puddle of mud, I would probably try to drink it, right? Uh, the, they had goats, they had sheep, they had uh, bulls. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, they, they had uh, cows, they had uh, camels. So they had access to, uh, to drink right? They had nursing animals. They could have gotten milk, right? So the actual need was a mental need, right? They were not dying of thirst. They were just uncomfortable, right? And so Shem was like, oh, okay, well, I understand your slaves. You know, he brought them into this, uh, to the wilderness and provided, you know, water for them. And, he's, and they're like, well, that's not good enough. We, we need water that tastes good. Right, you know, Egyptian water is Perrier and Avion and and all the rest. You know, we need the good water. So he's like, Jim is like, okay, I understand. It is, it's difficult. So he, you know, does a miracle and puts, the, you know, and then there, then right after that, he says, okay, I'm going to take you to a place full of water. And what do the what do we do? We immediately say, "Well, I understand we have about a bunch of water, but this is just we're bored. We we're just complaining. We just want to go back to Egypt. This is just awful. We're in the desert, you know. 
we have to think about it. What was in four? We had shade. We had the pillar of cloud that was protecting us from the sun, right? We were just uncomfortable, right? And then Hashem was like, okay, listen, I understand what, what your needs are, your comfort. So he had mercy on us three times when we complained. He provided quail. He provided uh, the manna for us, you know? And I think, uh, how can we apply this today? Okay, so in modern Judaism, we've allowed um, the nations to tell us, uh, if you're going to be in our society, you need to be in a cloister group. We need to put our finger on you. So you need to stay as close and compacted as you can. And so we developed our our laws and our uh, traditions around living in basically on top of each other, right? Uh, but what does Hashem do when He gives our, our leaders Joshua and in the in the future in the future Messiah that will give uh, land out, right? He'll we're not going to be uh, uh, living on top of each other. We're not going to be uh, basically in each other's business constantly. Uh, we that's a that's a prohibition. That's a that's a condition that we've allowed the nations to tell us that's where a Jew lives. Jews live in cities, and but that's not the natural state of us. Uh, most of the Torah, the most of the Torah, is talking about agriculture and what do you do with agriculture? We just had to a Shabbat, right? And it's kind of foreign to us because we don't, we're not farmers. We're we're accountants and doctors and lawyers and engineers and you know because that's what we've been told. That's what you do. That's if you're going to live in our land, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be that position, right? So uh, even now we're still in a slave mentality, you know? Uh, but when Mashiach comes, he's going to uh, disperse us out. And even we need to be careful, what we can apply to is, is that when we get in those situations, these big groups, we get into group thought. And uh, group thought I would say the vast majority of times is negative thought, right? Uh, it's because it's easy to complain, right? And um, one thing that you know, Hashem and uh, is taught through the Torah and through Shlomo and and through uh, our, uh, our our brother King David uh, is that you know uh, we should be content in what Hashem gives us, you know. And uh, contentment is uh, what should we strive for that Hashem provides for our needs. Uh, but, you know, if you do have a negative, if you're in a group and you're getting a constantly like a negative atmosphere, maybe it's, maybe you pull back from the uh, your, your, your emotions and your decisions from the group. Not necessarily leave the group. I'm just saying take yourself back. I say, okay, wh what am I, why am I thinking this? Hashem created us as thinking beings, okay? So, you know, two things. We, we don't want to judge our brothers and our mothers and fathers in the situation they were in. But we, just because they were in that situation doesn't mean we should be in that situation. When Hashem gives us uh, a drop of bread, we should be thankful for that. Uh, Tibishabat taught us that we should be thankful uh, for all the things he gives us. And even though it's uh, uncomfortable and uh, we may have a headache or 
whatever it is, there's there's all all sorts of reasons to be thankful, and I think we can we can learn from our our uh, parents that you know there is a reason to be thankful. You know, look for the sources of to be thankful for, and um, Hashem will lead us into our land, and uh, we don't have to live according to the nations. Uh, when when Hashem and the Mashiach, the future Mashiach comes and divvies out the land, it says the nations of the world around Israel will give up their land, so that so that uh, there will be an inheritance. So uh, take a step back from the negative thoughts and uh, let us let us um, go on the promises and see the blessings that Hashem has for us. Shabbat Shalom. I want to share um, a few thoughts from Rabbi Nachman on three of the verses from our Torah portion. One of them is based on um, uh, Beshalah thirteen seventeen, and it's based on the verse which says, "When Pharaoh sent out to sent out the people, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it was nearby. For God said, the people may reconsider when they see battle." and they will return to Egypt. And he says, first of all, that the Philistines were the illegitimate offspring of the Egyptians, based on Rashi, um, Rashi's comment about Genesis 10, 14. And as such, they shared a common bond of immorality and evil. It was nearby, um, i.e. to Egypt, um, physically and spiritually. From the early days of our patriarchs, it was always the Philistines who rose up against them. They were the forebears of evil against the Jews. And very interesting that the Palestinian people took on that name um, for themselves and are again the forebears of um, evil against the Jews. Um, also, where it says when it says when Pharaoh sent out the people, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. He says, Philistine, Philistines is similar to Mephulash, similar um, letters there. And that this means opened, which refers to God opening up and revealing his light. And Rabbi Nachman says that when a person leaves behind his material life in search of godliness, that God's light will be too great for him to receive and absorb all at once. Therefore, he must go around the Philistines i.e. take a circular rather than a direct route to reach his intended goal. In this way, he will be able to enter the Holy Land. And then he says that the path to the Holy Land is the path to holiness. And I never thought about that before. Um, I've, I've always thought about, you know, the path to the Holy Land is like the promised land. It's more about blessing. But here he's saying the path to Holy Land is the, is the path to holiness. And it's fraught with obstacles. A person must learn to overcome his doubts and confusions and clarify his intentions and goals. Then he merits to enter into holiness. For some reason, when I read this, my, my mind turned to marriage. And I could say, like, I feel like that um, the path to marriage, you know, in Judaism, we say that marriage is a way that Hashem sanctifies us, right? It's a way that he makes us holy. It's a way that he makes us um, not selfish, so that we're forced to l look um, at another person and their interests 
and you know your children's interests, your your spouse's interests, and your children's in- interests. So it makes us more holy, right, to be in a marriage. And that this that marriage um, is one of these sacred institutions that is fraught with obstacles, and that a person must learn to overcome his doubts and confusions in marriage. And what kind of doubts and confusions? I would say, you know, um, you know, doubts like, is this the right choice? Should I really get married? Um, did I marry the right person? You know, is this a good marriage? Um, should I get out of this marriage? Um, I'm, con- you know, and then he says confusions. You know, sometimes like, well, I thought marriage was supposed to be this way. And how come he's not being like this? And how come she's not doing that? She's supposed to do this. He's supposed to do this. You know, confusion. And we have to overcome these confusions and clarify our intentions and our goals. It's like, regardless of the doubt, regardless of the confusion, what is my intention for this marriage? What do I want this marriage to be? What does God intend for this marriage to be what is the goal of this marriage what is the goal of um what is the goal of our marriage what should i do regardless of the doubts and confusions and that's just one example you know we can we can talk that marriage is certainly a um one of these institutions that are to make us holy and i feel like childhood is also um a sacred institution you know it's it's something that should if done right lead us to holiness our parents our guardians should lead us to holiness and and we have different doubts as children like um um do they really love me like why why do i have to have this kind of childhood and and my friends over there they get different kinds of childhood and you know there's doubts and confusion even in childhood um even our you know our our jobs they can refine us. They can lead us to holiness, possibly, um, sometimes. And and there's always doubts and confusions. And there, everything in life really can can lead us to holiness. And I believe that's what we're here for on this earth. Like, why why the fall? Why sin? It's because Hashem knew that we needed this struggle, this roundabout way, before we could get to the, uh, the ultimate goal, which is the Olam Haba. Okay, and then the next verse, um, sorry. But the next verse is um, 14.7, Bishalach 14.7. It says, he took 600 elite chariot crews and all the chariots of Egypt with officers on them all. And Rabbi Nachman says, he took 600 elite chariots and crews. A chariot is a vessel that is subordinate to the rider. The imagination is a vessel that should be subordinate to the intellect. But Pharaoh, and then he says, Bears the evil inclination, that's who he represents, is a master of illusory powers, which he uses to chase and frighten people. Listening to Pharaoh, a person could believe that he has blemished so much that even if he tried to draw close to God and the Tzadikim, he would not succeed due to his sins. The Jews were able to counter Pharaoh's threat only through prayer and crying out to God. Then they merited to see horse and the rider he threw into the sea, that is the horse, the subordinate vessel, the imagination, which tries to overcome the intellect, the superior vessel, the writer, will be drowned together with all the illusory and evil thoughts that pursue a person. The battle against the imagination is a lengthy one. God himself, as it were, had to battle Pharaoh. The Midrash says that Pharaoh first rode on a red horse, then on a white horse, then on a black horse. That's interesting because that 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 
um, it, it seems to parallel Revelation, the different um, horsemen. In turn, God appeared to do battle with Pharaoh, first on a red horse, then on a white horse, then on a black horse. And each time God appeared to Pharaoh in the way, Pharaoh tried to reject himself until Pharaoh was vanquished. Illusory powers are very creative, and one must battle constantly to overcome them. In addition, one must always call out to God for salvation. And I thought, and that's very interesting that, that Rabbi Nachman is, is comparing Pharaoh's physical chariots and armies to the imagination. I was like, why is he doing that? They were real ferrets and chariots that were chasing them. And then I realized it's because the reality is always that Hashem is in control. Hashem is greater than all of our obstacles. So whether they be, and Rebbe Nachman talks about these, these things a lot, about our, our imaginations. And he talks about how the, this is very, very, um, very, um, one of our greatest uh, obstacles in life is our own imagination. Um, and I don't think it matters whether it's like we're hallucinating or we're just imagining our own thoughts and letting our own thought, like whether you see something physically, not physically, but whether you think you see something physically or it's just your thoughts, they're still your imaginations and you can interact with them. I've hallucinated before. I've in different ways. I won't go into that, but you know what? You can interact with these, you know, you can interact with your, your, your visions. You can interact with your dreams and you can interact with your thoughts. When your thoughts are telling you, do this, you want to do this. You feel like doing this. Or when your imaginations are showing you something, you still have the power of choice. Sometimes even our, in our dreams, we can still choose to do certain things. So it doesn't matter what our, even what our own mind and what our, even what our own thoughts are telling us, we can, con we can talk back to ourselves and we can say, no, I choose to stand with Hashem. Because even our thoughts and our, our imaginations and our feelings are not us. They may seem like us, and I think that's a great illusion, that our feelings are us, that our thoughts are us, that our imaginations are us, that our dreams are us, but they're not. There is something deeper and greater that is truly us, and that is the divine soul that is within us, and that is what needs to take control. We don't have to follow our imaginations. We don't have to follow our thoughts. We don't have to follow our feelings. We're greater than all of things. All of these things, our divine neshama, our divine soul is what should what should ride the vessel. We are the rider. Something inside us, the divine part inside of us is the rider, is the one in control. Our thoughts, our imaginations, our feelings, those are only vessels. Okay, and then the last verse that he talks about is um, 1410. It says uh, that the, where it says, Pharaoh grew close. Pharaoh drew close, the Israelites lifted their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were coming after them and the Israelites became very frightened and cried out to God. And so he says, Pharaoh drew close. And then the last part of the verse, it says they cried out to God. And Rabbi Nachman says that the only way to escape from Pharaoh is by crying out and beseeching God. And truly, Pharaoh is anything in our lives that we think is too great for us to overcome ourselves. Any challenge, any sin, any temptation, any circumstance, whatever it is, it says that our it says that our sages, this is Shemot Rabbah, read the word hikriv, drew close, as a transitive rather than reflexive verb. Therefore, you can read it or you can understand it as 
Pharaoh drew the Jews closer to God. And Rabbi Nachman says, in general, evil entities were created in order to help us draw close to God. So there is no evil angels. There's only angels. There is no, you know, this not to be taken literally, but you can even say there is no evil even in the world. Not that there isn't evil, there, but, but even the evil behind it, there's good. And it's only there. The evil is only there to draw us close to God. It, it's basically all from Rebbe Nachman's um, Torah, uh, specifically the book Exodus to Leviticus. Really good. It's available on Amazon in physical and Kindle format. I wish they had an audio book. All right. Let us uh, open our Sidurs to page 77 for Psalm 145. Oh, wait. Do we have a youth Josh today or no? No? Not this week. We've been missing our youth Joshes for a few weeks, and I know Andy had one, and we missed him. And so, we don't. I don't want to miss anybody that did prepare. So, go to page seventy-seven. 